0: Chapter 18 of The Gray Man. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jeremiah Sutherland, Victoria, British Columbia. The Gray Man by S. R. Crockett. Chapter 18 Bairns' Play. There remains yet one other of their pranks to be told and that only because it is knit into the story and so must be unravelled along with it the pair of elders after this defeat at the hands of nell and little david took counsel together and might sooner have hit upon something to their mind but that james as was usual with him stood in an attitude of cogitation having his mouth very wide open whereat sandy whose wits were brighter and could not even for the sake of the alliance between them refrain from dropping therein a snowball which he had ready in his hand for any purpose that might arise this he did with the same neatness and adroitness with which he would have dropped a ball of worset yarn when the caps were on the green for the game royal of bonnet ba. it took some time and a mighty deal of struggling on the ground before this treachery between friends could be arranged also much thrusting of snow down the backs of doublets and holding it there till it melted together with other still more unseemly and uncomfortable proceedings then the reconciled allies entered the castle together promising peace and fell into talk with young davy who stood within the great door in the inviolate safety of the hall do you want a murk said sandy tempting him with the sight of one which at that day was great wealth it will buy store of peaches and pears and baked apples at bailey underwood's in the high street preserved cherries also and marmalade of plums then said davy a murk i want indeed as does every one but you are not the fellow to give it me therefore quit your pother for i know that you would only make friends to get me apart and so work mischief upon me a wise boy david as i live i lie not said sandy taking a great oath i will give you the murk if you go down after dark to the barn and passing through the great door to the lesser door at the back, shut and bolted with its bar of oak, and so return the way ye went. If ye do this, sure as death, I lie not, I will give you the murk. Little David, who had ofttimes been deceived of his brothers, considered upon the offer a while, and at last he said to Sandy, As sure as death ye might lie, though twice ye have said it. But give the murk into the keeping of Lance Kennedy, that will not tell lies, at least not for such frights, and then I will take your dare and go shut the further door of the barn. They came up therefore to me to the armory, James, Sandy, and David all together, and as soon as I heard them coming, I went from the window and sat by the fire that they might not suspect I had observed aught of their matters. Then, when they revealed the plot to me, I bade Sandy be careful what he did, for it was growing dark, and I misdoubted that they meant to fright the child. So I feared them with the threat of their father, and as little david lingered while his brothers went lumbering and shouting down the armory stair i put into his hand a short blackthorn cudgel which the young sheriff of galloway had brought with him over from ireland if ye see anything more than common hit it as hard as ye can with that i bade him and so little david passed out i could not see him far across the yard because of the fall of the gloaming but on his return all a drip of sweat and in a quivering tremble of agony he told me what had befallen him it was bitter cold he said and i will not say that i was not feared for i was yet so long as the door stood ajar there came a ray of light through it and my heart was cheered but presently it was shut too and i had all the way to go alone but i heard the cows in the byre rattling at their hams through the rings and as i kenned, pulling at the meadow hay in their stalls and that at least was some company so i went on and the frosty snow squeaked under my feet i came to the great door of the barn it stood open, vast and terrible as the mouth of a giant's cave, but I thought of the marmalade of plums, and in I went with my heart-gulp, gulping high in my throat. I nodded at the little fellow, for many a time had I felt the same, and said nothing about it, when I was much younger, of course. So, said he, I went through the barn in which was such hay and straw, till I came to the midst of it. Here I stopped to listen, for I could hear a noise, indeed many noises. However, it was only the black ratten's firstling among the straw. I felt a thousand miles away from home an orphan and very lonely Nor did thinking on marmalade of plums now bring comfort at least none to speak of But nevertheless because I thought of the taunting and japing of James and Sandy I took my way to the further door that looketh upon the old orchard the black cornstacks shut out money of the stars but those that were left tingled and shone cold i thought i had no friend nearer than one of these i was much afraid yet nevertheless i shut the back door and barred it barred it good and strong with both bolts and set a corn measure at the back for luck this being done i turned and took but one step towards the great door through which i could see the snow shining like a mist then my heart stopped and i tried to cry out very loud but alas i could not cry out at all for there was something in the doorway i could see it against the snow Something that crawled on the ground with dull horrid eyes set wide apart and that turned a shapeless horned head slowly from side to side Moaning and yammering the while I thought I should die Then I feared that I should not die before the thing took me for it slowly invaded the barn till it filled all the doorway By this I knew that I should indeed be devoured Nevertheless I minded what it was you said before I went so I thought that having a stout stick in my hand I might as well die after having smitten a good stroke as not. Bravo, young David, cried I. That is the right spirit of battle. So I took the black thorn in both hands, he went on, and swung it about my head as you showed me in the hagging down of trees. With that I struck the horrible thing fairly between the eyes. Then leaping over it I ran, how I know not, for the house door, where I laughed and wept time about till Nell brought me here that you might bid me stop. Now I want the murk. "'So I gave him the murk, took down the dog-whip from the nail where it hung, and went out to look for Jamie and Sandy, for well I knew that this had been one of their tricks to frighten the boy, and I was resolved that they should take a thrashing, either from me, or, what they would less desire, from their father, who, though a kind enough man, till he began to lay on, was apt to be carried away with the exercise, and to forget bowels of mercy.' But when I got upon the snow by the door sandy came running to me fairly crying out with terror He had the hide of a muckle bullock which had been killed that day trailing from his waist His face in the light that fell from the lamp in the hall was a sight to be seen There was a lump on his brow between the eyes as large to a nearness as a hen's egg All his face was a lapper with blood so that for the moment I thought that the lad had really been killed but when I pulled him up to the armory and got him washed I found that the blood was only that of the bullock whose hide he had wrapped about him in order that he might crawl on the ground and fright his brother David and I had there and then taken him to task with the dog-whip for indeed he might have bereft the child of reason but the sight of his own wordless terror smote upon me so that I desisted for that time at least for a while Sandy could not speak by reason of the fear which blanched his face and caused him to hold by my coat even when I went across the room. At last, however, he found tongue. "'There is a man,' he stammered. "'A man with a drawn sword, standing at the barn end in a grey cloak, and a wild beast crouching beside him. "'Barley break, flim-flam,' said I, for I believe not a word of it. "'Your head is muzzy with your carrying the bullock's head and horns.' and serve you right had David given you a warble on it twice as big. "'No,' gasped Sandy, "'it is not fantasy. I saw the man clearly. He stood against the sky in a grey cloak, and the beast crouched and held a lanthorn by him. "'Oh, Launce! I fear I have seen the black man, and that I shall die!' Senior granny's hip and clouts,' said I roughly, for I was angry at his senselessness. "'Lay raw beef to your beauty spot, my man. Sleep here with me, and I will forgive you the licking with the dog-whip.' So by little and little I got Sandy soothed down till he went to sleep on my bed, moaning and tossing the while. Then I set me down to think, alone, on the window sill above the courtyard, for I had long since handed David over to the care of Nell. Sometimes for convenience I slept in the armory, for Sir Thomas had trusted me with everything since I had proved myself in the wars. I saw well that evil was somehow intended against the house of Culzean, and that something terrible walked in darkness. I resolved that I should find out what it was, or die. Yet I liked not stealthy adventure so much as plain cut and thrust, and wished that I had had Robert Hargberg with me. But I knew that, though brave as a lion, he somewhat lacked discretion, and so might spoil all. There was nothing for it, therefore, but to go out alone. End of chapter 18